What's up, everybody? I know this is impromptu. It's not Thursday. And um, this isn't a scheduled Anything Goes podcast, but it's an Anything Goes Extra. And I'm going to talk about episode three and four from the Last Dance documentary, documenting the 98 Chicago Bulls last run. Episodes one and two were great. I've been anticipating this series since I learned about it some months ago, and it's not disappointing at all. Uh, Tonight, they started off talking about Dennis Rodman. You know, the opening scene from episode three is Dennis Rodman-centric. And we get to learn a lot about the worm. And, you know, we've learned tidbits, you know, here and there throughout the years. But it was pretty cool to hear him speak on himself and then you get the opinions of the people who were actually around him and not people who are just, you know, being analysts and reporting on what they heard third hand. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know, uh, he stated that he got kicked out of the house at 18, you know, which would, which is in the black community, unfortunately, that's like the milestone. That's like the the number, the magical number. You're 18, you're out of high school. Uh, you're either going to go to college or you're going to get a job. But a lot of times parents really do force their kids out of the home while they're still kids. I've never understood that. So he said he was out, you know, living couch to couch, house to house um, for two years. Went to college, developed, turned into the best defensive player ever. And uh, David Aldridge, he said that during the documentary, he said Dennis Rodman is the greatest defensive player I've I've ever seen. And I think a lot of us feel the same way. Um, I know he's the my number one defender of all time. Him, Scottie Pippen, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, Hakeem Olajuwon, Dikembe Mutombo. You know, I, I can Ben Wallace, uh, honorable mention, so I can just keep naming these amazing defenders. But Dennis Rodman, he stood out mainly because he was about six, seven, six, eight, and he had the athletic ability and the strength to bang with centers and power forwards who were much bigger and stronger than him. So he was a freak of nature. He explains how he didn't get in trouble on the floor in college, that that all started in Detroit. (laughs) You know, they kind of shaped him into being who he became. Um, But it led to him becoming one of the greatest basketball players to ever live, and he was a defensive-oriented player. He explains, and it was pretty cool to watch this and to see him tell us how he became this great defender and rebounder. He said he would call his friends up three o'clock in the morning, go to the gym, you shoot. And he said he he would just get them to shoot from different places on the court. And he would, by muscle memory, pretty much just get the ball at his highest point. He, He knew 
how the ball would bounce. And he started doing that and said he perfected his craft. He knew that would keep him in the NBA, especially during that time. Teams were not shooting three-pointers. This, this is a total different NBA. Uh, it was built on defensive ability. Uh, were you an enforcer? And could you score, you know, offensively? Could you take punishment? He took the defensive standpoint, and it worked out for him. So you get to see how meticulous he was. He said he knew if MJ shot the ball where it would bounce to, the same with Larry, the same with Magic. It was pretty cool and pretty interesting to hear them talk about him. And then uh, they briefly touched on this, and this was early in the episode, (laughs) you know, it's 98, Pippen is out. It's Dennis Rodman and it's Michael Jordan, you know, and the rest of the, the cast of characters, you know what I'm saying, on the Bulls. But it's it's no big three, it's a big two. And it's not the big two that they're accustomed to. It's not Scotty and Michael, it's Dennis and Michael. And um, MJ looked for Dennis to be there. You know, he, he look, Scotty's not here, I need you. And... It was funny because they were playing in the game. Dennis gets ejected from the game. Michael is pissed. He's ranting and raving. And he said later on that night, Dennis came to his room. Now, if you've seen Dennis Rodman talk about uh, the his three years with the Bulls, it's look it up on YouTube. He's speaking to um, Rachel Nichols on the jump. It's him and Scottie Pippen, and he tells the story of how he didn't really talk to them. You know, he didn't communicate with them. They, they didn't really have that relationship that uh, we're accustomed to. So when he went to the hotel room, he wasn't going to apologize. He asked Mike for a cigar. And by him doing that, he let Mike know, you know, I fucked up. If MJ said the same thing, you know, he said, I... I fucked up. I made a mistake. And, you know, um, you have me. We can we can proceed. Mike knew he didn't he wasn't expecting an apology, but that was enough for him. And they started winning. And that was that was pretty cool. We're going to come back to that moment in time, though, later in this episode, you know, depicting well, picking apart episode three. So they tell the story, and I, I heard the story a couple of years ago about how Dennis Rodman, uh, I think this was his last season with Detroit, he went and took a gun, and he fell asleep in his car, and a friend of his was concerned and, you know, filed a report. He was found, but the the Pistons, they could take no more of his antics and who he was turning into. So they traded him in 93 to the San Antonio Spurs. And this is where we get to see who Dennis Rodman would eventually become as far as dressing the way he did, um, the piercings, the hair, just the eccentric <laughs> way of living. But... Uh, it it was brewing his head in Detroit. 
they couldn't do anything with him. They trade him to San Antonio, and he just becomes rebellious as hell. Oh, and it's 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 funny, you know, Carmelo Anthony. They had they had points, you know, when they would go to commercial breaks. At least on the app, I was watching on the ESPN app because I wanted to be outside and you know indulge in some uh, adult activities. So, <laughs> um, Melo was saying that in the last season for the Bulls, they were going against the Washington Bullets, who are the Washington Wizards now. They used to be the Bullets in the 90s. And that Dennis Rodman, after the game, was like, you know, I didn't even want to play in the game. Like, I didn't want to play this game. And Melo was like, you know, I thought he was so ill for just feeling like that. You know what I'm saying? And voicing his opinion. So, Dennis Rodman, he was an interesting character, uh, but he was an even better basketball player. And that's the thing that we get throughout this episode, because Mike, Scotty, and Phil, they all felt like that about him. They were like, okay, we're going to have to let Dennis be Dennis and do him. You know what I mean? We can't really dwell on, you know, what he's doing outside of us, but we know we can depend on him on the court. And they could. Um, they tell the story about that season when Scotty comes back, how it affects Dennis, because now you're going back to that third wheel. You know, it's now Scotty's the clear number two. He comes back January 10th. He has 12, 4, and 5, and it's, it's business as usual. <laughs> and... Dennis, you know, he's carried this pressure of being number two, but he's loving it because it's giving him, uh, he's feeling important, more important because it's just him and MJ. Now Scotty's back. So it's the three musketeers, but you're the third one. So they tell the story of how he uh, wants to take a vacation. Phil calls Michael <laughs> and he tells Mike, uh, and it's it's cool how they do this because they they record what Mike's response is and they give like a iPad or something to Scotty, Phil, and Dennis, and they hear him talk. <laughs> you know, he tell the story about how he um, how Dennis needs a vacation. Um, he wants to go to Vegas and feels like I could give you forty eight hours, and Mike's like, no. No, man, we, we're we not going to see him. Like, if you let him go, we're not going to see him. But they ended up letting him go. Mike was right. He had to go get Dennis. He went to Vegas. He got him. They had some commentary on here from Carmen Electra, which was pretty cool. We know her and Dennis were married at one point. Well, that was his girlfriend. And she said, you know, she didn't realize, <laughs> you know, how much it, how much it took to really be his girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was a job and a half, and she didn't understand that. They talk about how they even acquired Dennis Rodman to come to Chicago. A guy named Jim Stack, he convinced Jerry Krause about Dennis Rodman. Krauss didn't want anything to do with him, which a lot of people didn't. You know, he was showing his ass in San Antonio, but uh, he's he's convinced. He takes a, a meeting. He calls Phil. Phil's initial 
you know, thoughts when he meets Dennis is, you know, this dude isn't standing up. Look at the piercings in his face. He didn't think it would work, but it ended up working. And they developed a bond, which I found interesting to to really see how Phil thought about him and how he thought about Phil is cool. They had a Native American drawing to each other, you know, that bonded them and Dennis felt like Phil looked at him more than a basketball player. And that worked in that worked to their advantage because they gained Dennis trust that way. Um, you could tell that this guy just kind of didn't know how to take love and didn't really know what love was. That's what I can depict from this documentary, just from hearing him speak in general. You know, he was raised different and he just have a, has a different perspective on life, which most of us does. But it's kind of glaring with him. So, <clears throat> man, the, the Bulls were like the Beatles. You know, I don't want to hold you guys too long, but the Bulls were like the Beatles. Especially that second title run. You get what I'm saying? So... <laughs> Dennis said, you know, we're getting paid. I play basketball for free, but you're going to pay me for the extra bullshit that we have to pull put up with. And that was essentially your plan with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Like your plan with Michael Jordan, your plan with the greatest athlete on the planet, the most recognizable athlete on the planet, the greatest basketball player. It's going to be a, a, a show. It's going to be a, a circus, and it was. Um, they talked about how January of 98 was just centered around whether Michael Jordan was going to retire or not, and we'll get more into that as we go into episode four. But they also talked about, you know, Doug Collins being hired by the Bulls in 86, he led Michael to an MVP, All-Star MVP, Defensive Player of the Year Award. So he was beneficial with Mike. He loved him, and Mike loved him. But he was coaching the team in the fashion to where it was just Mike-centric. It was no it – was, it was, hey, if the clock's running down, give it to Mike. You know, if all all else goes wrong, we can give it to Mike. We're going to run these plays. We're going to run them for Mike. That's cool, but that's not going to win you championships. And it's definitely definitely not going to be the Celtics or the Lakers, who were the two dominant teams at the time. And this, we go into the 1989 playoffs, which was... Probably one of the best playoff runs. I mean, playoff series. Not even series. It was one of the best playoffs ever. Like, if you can go back and just look through the archives, look at the 89 NBA playoffs and just pick a series. They were all entertaining. So, you have in 89, you have... The up and coming Cleveland Cavaliers, 
got tongue tied. You have the up and coming Cleveland Cavaliers going against the up and coming Chicago Bulls. Now, no one really believed that the Bulls could beat the Cavaliers. This is what was being said about Mike at the time. And I think the people who watched it can attest to this. He could win, but he couldn't win a championship. You're the best, but you can't win because of how you play. You know, and this was this was true in a sense. You know, you can't win. And, and Kobe Bryant even said this about James Harden. You can't win just depending on one player. It's not sensible when you have great teams out here. And you were going up against a Cavaliers team that was great. Um, you had the Celtics still. You had the um, Pistons who were their arch rivalries, rivalry. And then you had the Lakers in the West. And also Portland, Houston was good. So they weren't going to win a title being Jordan dominant. So you have this playoff run starting and people are saying, look, the Cavaliers are going to win. They're on the come up. You know, this this is their time. This is their year. They're going to break through before the Bulls. And it backfired on them. They didn't win. Michael Jordan was being extra petty because that's who he is. <clears throat> and when I say that, I mean it in the sense of he knew that people were betting against the Bulls. Even... Bulls writers were betting against the Bulls. And once the series started, you know, you had three writers. Who, one said that the, the Cavaliers were going to sweep Chicago, which was laughable. The other one said they were winning four, and the other one said they were winning five. Before game five started, MJ said, look, I'm going to be, well, no, look, I shut you up. I took care of you. And I'm going to shut you up tonight. And he did. If you've been living on the rock, then you don't know about the shot. Before MJ hit the walk-off game winner against Utah in the NBA Finals in 98, he had the shot in the playoffs against Craig Elo and the Cleveland Cavaliers that pretty much catapulted them into becoming who they were as destined to become. Ron Harper is on here. You know, he was with the Bulls for that second three-peat. Um, great point guard. He was a great basketball player. Got slowed up by injuries. But on the last shot, he told his coach, look, put me on Mike. I got Mike. You know what I'm saying? I have MJ. And the coach said, no, we're going to put Craig Elo on him. <laughs> and I'm not going to call foul or favoritism, but when Michael Jordan is saying, yeah, Ron, they should have put Ron Harper on me. He was guarding me the best. He was defending me the best. The coach knew. I don't know what he was thinking. And you got this sound bite from Ron Harper. He was just like, fuck this bullshit. Like, he probably checked out, was like, whatever. You know, I hope we lose. <laughs> so... 
I mean, it's it's written in history now. You see MJ take the shot, the emotion that he puts out after this shot when he's pumping his fist is something that his teammates had never seen before. They had never seen that type of emotion. And they talked about that. They were like, they only seen Mike mad. You know, they only seen him, you know, yelling. They never seen him happy. And to see how he reacted after hitting that game winning jumper, it was priceless. So we move ahead uh, to the bad boys in the same playoff run. And this was this was funny. This was funny as hell. Um, like when you think about bad blood and basketball, you think about Detroit and Chicago. And we're going to jump into that more in episode four. So just hold on a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to keep things in order. But we're going to talk about the hatred that these teams have for each other. But in episode three, it was definitely, you know, interesting just to hear how Scotty and Michael took Dennis in. Scotty said he fit like a glove. That's the sign of just somebody being able to play they, their role, know their position, and do it better than anybody else in the league at that time. So when they got Dennis, they it was a game changer. You know, it really was. Um, they talk about how Jerry Reinsdorf didn't want to put $80 million in his big three, Mike, Scotty, and Dennis. $80 million in three players to date is laughable because you're probably going to eat up $80 million with your two best players. But to have three, what? He, I mean, I just feel like Jerry Reinsdorf didn't know how to run his team. He didn't know what he had. He couldn't have because you would have had Jordan and Pippen versus Robinson and Duncan the next year because I'm sure the Bulls would have won in 99. And then you have the potential to have Shaq and Kobe against Scotty and Jordan. Come on. Like, I think they would have had two more years at the top of the Eastern Conference. And who knows what would have happened. We could have answered a lot of questions. We could have possibly gotten... Kobe versus MJ in the finals. And we could put to rest what team is better. I personally, at that time, with them being old, and it, it would depend on who has Phil Jackson. Seriously, let me just say that. So I'm not going to say who I think would win because they both had the same head coach and he was a difference maker. And uh, Phil, well, not Phil, but Doug Collins said that he, he said around his second year, he knew that Phil could be the um head coach of the Bulls. He felt that. So he he wasn't secure in his position. The Bulls they had went out and they they sought Phil Jackson. He won two rings as a coach. He um he was a coach in what the I don't want to say this wrong. Was it the ABA? I may be wrong. I may be wrong. But they went and they found him. Um the first time that he <laughs> came to interview for the assistant coach job. 
It didn't go well. He wasn't dressed properly. The head coach didn't want him. The second time that they had an opening, Jerry Krause reached out to him. He told him what to do, what to say, how to dress, and the rest is history. He came on with uh, Doug Collins. Doug Collins and the Chicago. Well, Jerry Krause had hired a Tex winner. That was one of the first hires he made for the organization. So he had always been a head coach, I mean, an assistant coach. One of the, and if you don't know who Tex Winner is, I'm going to explain it to you. He's one of the most brilliant minds ever in the NBA. You hear about him with Chicago and with the Lakers. Um, he was with Phil to design, well, he designed the triangle offense, but him and Phil, they perfected it together. He perfected it in Chicago and he perfected it in, in Los Angeles. You won six in Chicago. You won five in L.A. So this tells you about this offense. Um, Phil came in. Mike didn't really like Phil at first because Mike was so used to having the ball. This is the um, the relationship him and Doug Collins had. Doug was like, we're going to be Mike dominant. And Phil was like, no, we're not going to win like that. This is how they started winning those playoff series. This is how they won in 89. They had a new philosophy with Phil. So Phil takes the ball out of Mike's hands. He's like, look, you know, you, you don't need the ball to dominate. You know, they know you're going to have the ball in your hand the way that you're, you've been playing, and it's not going to translate into winning at the highest level. Because they can defend that, you know. So he had to convince them, and it took them about a year to get it right. But when they got it right, they perfected it. So you had um, Phil learning from Tex Winter, which was pushed by Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause wanted Phil to learn from him because Doug Collins didn't want to implement the triangle offense. Him and Tex Winter were bumping heads. Jerry Krause saw Phil being molded. He saw him want to learn, and he made an executive decision that Mike said, look, how are you going to explain firing a coach who got us to the Eastern Conference Finals? You hear what I'm saying? But he made the right decision. They weren't going to win the way that they were constructed. The way that they were playing, they weren't going to win. So they definitely, you know, took a gamble and it paid off eventually. It paid off fast. I want to say, what, two years later, they're NBA champions. So we get to see the relationship between Jerry Krause and Phil wasn't always tumultuous. It was a good relationship, but it went south once Jerry Krause wanted to be the man. Um, let's see. What else could we take from episode three? I think that's about it. Um, I don't really think it was anything else that stood out to me. You know, well, I take that back. I I take that back. They talked about the Jordan rules. <laughs> they talked about the Jordan rules. The Jordan rules were 
basically, if he comes into the paint, if he drives to the rim, we're going to knock him on his ass. Chuck Daly said it. He wanted his team to live by it, and they did. <laughs> they also wanted him to go left. They they wanted to make him so uneasy and unsettled that he couldn't win. They physically outmatched Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. And it was pretty funny because they knew that they were the the worst team. They knew they weren't as talented as Chicago, but they knew they were stronger than them. And they knew they could get in their head because the Bulls were young. You have to understand they were young. They did not know how to win. And Detroit played on that. So talk about the Jordan rules. Um, They didn't want Chicago to have confidence. And Chicago didn't have confidence. Even Bill Cartwright said we were not ready for the Pistons. And it showed that they weren't. You know, they lost to him in 89. It was just, they were there. They were on the brink, but they couldn't do it. So that's really what I took from episode three. Now, episode four, it starts out, and it's (laughs) talking about Dennis Rodman some more. And I think I had jumped ahead because I told the Carmen Electra story in episode three, but it happened in episode four. The plan, big pun. Still not a player. And they're just going through, like, of course, like I said, how MJ and Scotty really appreciated him. They they really took him in. They accepted him for who he was. They didn't try to make him be this blue chipper corporate kiss ass. They like, no, you're going to bring it every time we step on the court. Do what you do. You know, so that was how the episode started. Started. That's how the episode started, and then we talked about Phil. What we're gonna talk about in <laughs> in this episode, more so than anything, is how Mike said there was no. Um, how Phil told Mike, "There's no I in team," but Mike said, "There's there's an I in win." Michael Jordan was as competitive of an athlete that we've ever seen. If not the most competitive athlete that we've seen. It was just a different breed. Um, Everything that happened in episode four, I kind of tied it up and wrapped it up into episode three. And I do apologize about that, but that's how good the series is. It's just so easy to watch and flow. You don't have to really decipher anything. Because I could talk about this team from 91 up until 98 without watching this series. I'm watching it because I'm thoroughly entertained. I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. Before KG and AI came, MJ was my all-time favorite player. But MJ was regular. Them niggas was cool. So I switched up. I was impressionable. But I can't deny how good well, how great of a player that he was and how great that the team was. But the implementation of the triangle offense, it put Scotty in his natural position of point guard. That's what Scotty Pippen 
was born to play and it made him a point forward. It elevated Scotty and it made him and Michael's relationship better. And MJ talks about it in episode four more. He says, look, you know, I had to learn how to trust Scotty. Scotty learned how to trust me. Scotty just needed somebody there. If I could stand beside him, he would be strong. Talked about how the Pistons abused all of them and how when they lost to the Pistons in 89, they jumped right into training. They didn't go on vacation. They jumped into training. If you remember that 89 series, they touch on it. Scotty Pippen woke up, migraine headache, seventh game, couldn't see, seeing spots, um, just in a lot of pain. But he persevered, he played, but you're getting guarded by Dennis Rodman, who is arguably the greatest defender of all time. They weren't going to win, and they didn't. I think they lost about 20 points that game. But instead of them, you know, going about like, okay, we're going on vacation, Michael Jordan took the lead, and he was like, we're working out. And they worked out. So he went from 200 to 215 pounds, putting on muscle, um, determined, ready to go, balls to the wall. And he says it during the filming. Uh, and this was back in, what, 90, 91. He says it on camera. He says, I'm getting ready for Detroit. He knew that they were going to end up running running up against Detroit. He knew if he wanted the title, I'm going to have to take down the bad boys. And he did it. They talk about how once he got Scotty on board and Scotty started to flourish, here comes Horace Grant. They pretty much called Horace Grant a bitch. <laughs> you know, he was a, he was soft. He complained. You know, he got knocked around. And, you know, he always whined. And Jordan's like, shut the fuck up. I'm crying. Like, you know, you got to be, you got to be strong. You have to, you have to get through it. You have to be tough. Jordan was always tough. He just wasn't big enough to, contain that physicality through a seven-game series. He wasn't going to win unless he bulked up. But he had to instill toughness in the rest of his teammates, and he did that. Um, That year that they made the run to the championship, that first title, they're up against the Pistons again, and they're kicking their ass. They're sweeping them. Isaiah says, look, I thought we were good enough to at least make it competitive, but we weren't. And that fourth game, Dennis Rodman, he fouls Scottie Pippen, pushes him down as hard as hell. Flagrant in today's game, probably an ejection and a suspension. That's how hard the foul was. And Mike said when Scottie didn't respond to it, they knew they went. They knew they won. They were mentally there now that season they showed how dominant they were so they swept Detroit you know we have that iconic moment that pretty much determined the fate of Isaiah Thomas and the dream team we had this iconic moment with about seven seconds to go on the court the Pistons walk off and that came from Bill Lambeer. Lambeer said, we're going to walk off. We're not going to shake their hands. So they did. Horace Grant 
<laughs> says, you know, I thought they were some bitches for doing that. Uh, it was classless. It was tasteless. In my opinion, I wouldn't care. That's just me. If I'm losing, I don't want to congratulate you for beating me. Fuck you. So I kind of understand it. I don't understand why society wants you to be a good sport. No, I lost. Let me handle it the way I want to handle it. As long as I'm not hurting you. <laughs> they wanted Mike to hear Isaiah's explanation because he explained it away. He said, look, you know, the Celtics were going to walk off the floor when we beat them. I seen Mikael. I grabbed his arm. We talked. We slapped five. But, you know, we weren't tripping about that. So they have it on an iPad or a phone or whatever, a tablet. And Mike is like, I don't want to hear that shit. Like, he's he's lying, whatever he's saying, you know, that's not what he felt at the time. And, <laughs> you know, that was that was pretty, that was pretty interesting. He ended up listening to it and he proved himself right. And he's just like, you know, no, that was that was bullshit. It was tasteless. Um, I don't think he will ever be friends with Isaiah Thomas. Uh, they take jabs at each other all the time. Isaiah's like. Mike isn't the greatest player of all time. Anytime he can say that, he definitely does. But this was uh, the the catalyst for it. The, and it wasn't just that moment. It was the fact that Detroit was where Chicago wanted to be. And Chicago knew that they had to go through Detroit. And Detroit knew Chicago was going to have to come through them. And they did not want to relinquish that spot because it took them so long to get to that to that destination, to that ultimate goal, to that championship. It took them forever. You you have um the 76ers in the East with Dr. J and Moses Malone. <laughs> you know, you have the Celtics, you know, Bird has three rings, you have the Lakers. You know, Magic ended up with five, uh, him and Kareem. So they were already not given a chance. The The Pistons weren't supposed to be there. John Sally, John Sally said it the best. The NBA had it written out. They had it etched in stone. Magic, Bird, Jordan. That's, that was the natural order. Magic and Bird dominated at the same time, but going into the 90s, it's Michael Jordan. It was not Isaiah Thomas. If you pay attention in this series, you're going to see that they always talk about Magic and Larry being the best. Mike always talks about wanting to dethrone those two guys, wanting to be in the same breath as those two. They never say Isaiah. The Pistons were not supposed to be that team. That was that's why they were the bad boys. These guys ushered in a way of playing basketball. I mean, it was already there because the seventies and eighties were just physical as hell. Let's just call a spade a spade. A hard foul then. I mean, a hard foul now is nothing compared to a hard foul back then. But they were the face of this physicality of this physical play. Uh, Chicago was the complete opposite. 
you know, and then that's the sexier pick because you have the greatest player on the planet. So the rivalry, the rivalry was real and it was personal. And they say that, like, look, this was personal. Michael Wilbon says that he's like, look, this was personal between not only the players, not only the teams, but it was personal between the cities. It was personal between um, families and fans. So this this rivalry is one for the ages, but it sucks because Isaiah Thomas couldn't play on the dream team. You know, because of his lack of a relationship with Scottie Pippen or Michael Jordan, John Stockton was never and will never be better than Isaiah Thomas. That was his spot. But that bad blood, them walking off the court and not really having any remorse for it, they chose Michael Jordan. And they would do it again, and they they're not wrong. I just hate that it happened. Um, they sweep the Pistons on their journey to the finals. They this is Mike's big chance right here. This is his moment under the sun. You worked so hard and so long to get here, and game one in Chicago, they lose. And they lose in part because he bit off a little more than he could chew. Um, Mike is, what, 6'6". Magic Johnson is a legit 6'9", and he's long. And he tried to guard him in game one, and it didn't work. So in game two, Phil Jackson makes some adjustments. Scotty, you guard Magic, and, and Scotty is... What six seven six eight, uh, strong, long, and he picked up magic ninety two. Not what what is ninety two ninety four feet full court. Whatever full court is, he picked him up full court. He didn't let him get started, and from that moment forward, they did a gentleman sweep. They beat the Lakers four one, four games in a row. We get that iconic Michael Jordan. Uh, going for the dunk, switching the you know the ball to the left hand, laying it up, got the tongue hanging out and all that shit. We got that in game two. They were at the top of the basketball world, and you see them on the plane. You know, um, I think this is when they were they had just beat Detroit. I think they were on the plane, or this might have been right after the championship and they're dancing and having a good time. You see Scottie Pippen and Jerry Krause dancing together. Uh, this team was built to last, but it imploded. And it imploded because of ego. But they finally got to the top of the mountain. Everything seemed to be lovely. And then we transition into 1998, and the date is February the 8th. And the Bulls are going to Salt Lake City. They beat the Jazz the year before in the finals. They're steamrolling the competition. They're dominating the East, but it's like, okay, can they contain and contend with the West? They go up on Utah 
well, before we even talk about the game, let's talk about Jerry Krause. He's in the news. He says, look, Phil isn't coming back. Why would you say this during a road trip? Your team is away and you're making noise back at home. Phil isn't coming back. There's no way we're going to bring him back. This is his last year. And Mike is like, I'm not playing for another coach. And Jerry Cross is like, if Mike wants to be here, he's going to have to play for another coach. Mike hears this. He responds, I'm not playing for another coach. This will be my last year in Chicago. And just to know that this guy was really that idiotic to where he would, on the way to a sixth championship, your second three-peat, you're feeding the media the fuel to take your team down and to take your team's focus off of the basketball court. Why would you do that? So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where everything went south. I know it's coming. We we really need to pinpoint the why, and I hope we can. I know Jerry Cross is dead, but hopefully – they can just go back and pinpoint where things started to go wrong because this this is interesting. It's getting more and more interesting. Like I said, I love the Chicago Bulls. I love Jordan and Pippen, Rodman, Tony Kukoc, Phil Jackson, Steve Kerr. We wanted to be all those players um, back in the day because this team was just so dope. So, I'm tuned in. I know this was impromptu. I wanted to go live on YouTube, but we don't have enough subscribers and YouTube has changed over the years, so I can't go live. But I wanted to give you guys a rundown and give you a little something extra, switch it up. I didn't want to hold this until Thursday. So next Sunday, I will see you guys again for episodes five and six. We'll talk about it some more. And episode 38 will be dropping this Thursday. So stay tuned. It's uh, almost midnight. I'm about to sign out. I'm about to drink some more wine and get ready for this thing I call work tomorrow. It's streets. Y'all have a good night. I'm out.